Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China's leaders tend to be extremely optimistic when speaking to their citizens through state media outlets. So it was somewhat out of character that the Premier Li Keqiang adopted a downbeat tone in a recent speech, expressing his concern at a complex and grim domestic and international environment and acknowledging new downward pressure on the economy. This suggests that the government of China is worried about a number of threats to economic growth, some of them quite serious. We're joined this week on the podcast by an expert who's excellent at processing the data on China and explaining the key trends. He's Tommy Wu from Oxford Economics in Hong Kong. Tommy, welcome back to China in Context. Hello, Duncan. Thank you for having me back to your show. Tommy, let's start with looking at the People's Republic of China as a whole. Uh, the official figures state that China's GDP growth slowed to 4% on a year-on-year basis in the last quarter of 2021. Now, when I speak with you, I nearly always ask the same question to begin with, which is, do you trust the official numbers? So today, can I start by inviting you to give your analysis of that 4% growth figure? Tell me how it sits with your previous expectation. I do think that the 4% growth is actually a little bit high. Um, it was above uh, my expectation of you know, 3, 3.5% growth. And it also the consensus forecast from other economists out there. But then even though uh, oftentimes we need to take China's figures with a pinch of salt, um, I do think that still the 4% growth indicates a visible slowdown from 4.9% in the third quarter and 7.9% in the second quarter. So there is, it is an indication that uh, growth is indeed slowing in China. So reading one of your recent reports on China, I found a phrase which echoed the words of Premier Li Keqiang. He talked about new downward pressure on the economy. And in your brief to investors, you said that downward pressure on growth will persist in 2022. What downward pressures are you talking about? First of all, I think household consumption will continue to be sluggish because of zero COVID approach, uh, weak employment, and also uh, weak income prospects. Secondly, um, the real estate downturn uh, will continue this year. So uh, we have heard stories about property developers such as Evergrande and other high-profile developers uh, defaulting their debt, which not just hurting fixed investment in real estate and also construction work, uh, but also uh, sentiments uh, of home buyers because people lose confidence uh, from buying homes from these developers. Uh, then um, there's a because there's a real chance that you know these homes uh, eventually won't be delivered. Then people would stop buying houses, and that would actually create a, a liquidity issue for uh, these troubled developers or actually uh, the entire real estate sector. This is also why the government, uh, the Chinese government, is really trying hard to make sure that um, the construction work of the existing projects will be ongoing so that uh, it can keep at least uh, the, the developers to pay uh, you know, a lot of their workers, uh, their suppliers, and also uh, hopefully uh, ensure that uh, people don't lose confidence. 
So do you think that when China eases its COVID restrictions, that will give the country a big economic boost? I think it will, uh, especially on household consumption, um, because if you think about it, uh, with these restrictions in place, it is actually very hard to see how consumer sentiment can improve. Uh, now, uh, COVID restrictions have also caused uh, supply chain disruptions at local levels and also in some industries from time to time. Uh, even though in aggregate, the impact hasn't seemed to be that big. Uh, if you look at, say, you know, the, the Chinese exports numbers have been very strong last year. Uh, but, but still, if without the COVID restrictions, um, there will be a bigger chance that the household consumption can recover faster. And also, uh, the world doesn't need to worry about China's production or transport being disrupted. Now, Tommy, in the last few weeks, when I've been picking up copies of the Financial Times or The Economist, there's one story which is dominating, and that's the rise in global inflation. This is a big concern for central banks like the Fed in the United States. I know that Asian economies haven't been immune to the global phenomenon of rising inflation, but what's your inflation outlook for China? I think China's uh, situation is very different uh, in, in some sense uh, from Asia and the rest of the world. Now, uh, granted, uh, China's producer price inflation uh, was very high, uh, but the inflationary pressure pretty much just stayed in the production side and hasn't really been translated or transmitted to uh, consumers. So definitely uh, producer price inflation which uh, had actually reached uh, 10 plus percent year on year uh, towards the end of last year was definitely a problem, especially for uh, manufacturing and downstream industries. But the pass-through of uh, these high costs to uh, consumer price inflation has actually been very modest um, because of strong competition among firms and also because of the overall weak domestic demand. Uh, so companies, uh, are unwilling to pass through uh, rising costs. I can see that the Chinese government is trying to stimulate the economy with infrastructure spending and tax cuts. But the People's Bank of China, that's the central bank, has also signalled it doesn't want the economy to grow too fast and overheat. The goal is sustainable economic growth. How are the government and the central bank approaching this balance? First of all, I think the government does have a bottom line to China's growth, uh, which is perhaps about 5%. Uh, where this is coming from is uh, an estimate of China's potential growth. And I think China's policymakers do have that in their mind. So to achieve that, they want to ensure that there will be a sustainable growth, as you said, in the sense that uh, they do not want to rely on debt field growth like what they have done in the past, uh, but instead to boost investment in productive sectors and innovative sectors, uh, which will ensure that there will be sustainable productivity growth over time. And so this will also help, hopefully help to uh, boost growth this year as well by investing more in these sectors. I do think that the policymakers would expect you know, the consumption weakness to continue and also the real estate downturn to continue this year. So how can they actually reach the 5% growth target or growth for this year is 
I think they will continue to encourage investment in uh, strategic sectors such as advanced manufacturing, semiconductors, automation, uh, green economy, etc., and also through increasing infrastructure investment. At the same time, even though they know that uh, they perhaps, I think that they they do expect that the real estate downturn will continue. I do think that they want to support real estate activities by stabilizing housing demand through, say, expanding uh, mortgages and, and also providing subsidies to, say, first-time home buyers, etc., and also continue to extend lending to developers uh, to keep existing construction projects afloat, even though they do want to maintain uh, the strict regulations on developers to avoid excessive leverage. So you mentioned there the quest for productivity in China, and I understand that's one of the government's themes. And on this podcast before, you've talked about the investment in areas such as digitization and the green economy. Can you give us some examples of this? Some of these uh, new investment areas Uh, such as the so-called new infrastructure spending, uh, would include things like investing in 5G networks and also cloud storage facilities, and also uh, with advanced manufacturing, which would incorporate new information technology and digital technology into traditional production. And in terms of investing in the green economy, a lot of efforts that we've seen so far uh, have been coming from uh, elect- electric vehicles and also uh, investing in renewable energy and also uh, energy storage. So I don't want to conclude on too pessimistic a note, but your last report on China said that the risks are now skewed to the downside. What do you think are the international implications of that? Why does it matter to other countries in Asia and around the world if uh, there's a problem with the Chinese economy? So let me just to recap what downside risk uh, I was uh, mentioning. So these downside risks uh, are stemming from COVID and also the real estate downturn. Because if there are more frequent and widespread COVID outbreaks that would dampen Uh, not only household consumption within China, but also it could potentially create wider scale supply disruptions in China. And that would transmit into uh, further global supply disruptions, which we have already seen in in the past couple of years. And also, even though the authorities have been trying to uh, stabilize the real estate sector from too severe of a downturn, but there's no guarantee that those efforts will be successful. So these are the risks. And I've already explained the implications of uh, COVID uh, outbreaks to the global supply chains. But also on on the real estate front, it's not just a domestic issue because um, with the real estate accounting for a quarter of China's GDP, a significant slowdown in the real estate sector in China would turn out to be not just significant for China itself, But then because China is a major importer for many goods and services and commodities from countries in Asia and also from emerging markets and also from uh, advanced economies uh, in terms of uh, importing, say, machineries and some of the high-end intermediate goods, a significant slowdown in China would definitely affect its import demand from the rest of the world. 
dragging down global growth more generally. Tommy, it's always great to have you as a guest on our podcast. And I've had some very positive feedback from our audience based on your insightful interviews over the past few months. That was Tommy Wu on the line from Hong Kong. He's the lead economist at Oxford Economics. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. And there are details of our courses and events on our web pages, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.